What motivated me to, to make an impact was knowing that so many of my friends and my family, their family struggled because they couldn't get jobs in the, in the standard sense. Hey there, I'm Mark Minner of First Person Advisors. Welcome to Human Resolve, the podcast designed for the unsung heroes of the workplace, HR professionals like you. Each time we gather, we cover the highs and the lows hits and misses, and everything in between. We welcome you to another edition of Human Resolve. We are so delighted to bring you our next guest, Summer Crenshaw. And Summer, who is the CEO of Talent Now, an HR tech company. And I think you're going to absolutely be delighted by the background and perspective that Summer has to share today. Summer, a serial tech entrepreneur, speaker, author, was 20 years of experience in HR tech and marketing and strategy, a recipient of a 40 Under 40 Award for the Cincinnati's Business Courier and the Women Who Mean Business Award, and just really excited to dive into the conversation. Summer also holds her bachelor's degree from Miami University, a master's in business at Liberty University, currently a doctoral student at Liberty University's Doctor of Strategic Leadership program. Today, we also have Matt Henry, Chief People Officer at First Person. I'm Mark Minner, President and Chief Strategy Officer at First Person, and Summer, we are so appreciative to have you on Human Resolve. Thank you so much, Mark and Matt. It's great to be here. Well, Summer, I think it's interesting. Let's start with the idea of the degree that we just mentioned. You've gone to Miami, Ohio, Miami, Ohio, Miami University. You've gone to Liberty University. You're continuing your education further with that. And that is not something that was in your family heritage. No, not at all. <laughs> It's very, very uh, different from uh, anyone, any family that I had um, surrounding me when I was growing up. So my mother never made it actually past 10th grade in her education. She dropped out of school. My father did make it through high school, but he was a, a steel worker. My mom was a waitress at Waffle House. You know, for me, education was the ticket out. Everyone that I saw, you know, on movies and, and, and when I read books, they, you know, they talked about how education was the way that set their foundation for their lives. And so for me, not only did I want to go and, and, and chase getting a bachelor's degree and, and becoming a first gen in the university at Miami, but I wanted to continue to pursue that. And I think that for me, um, I, I am the epitome of a, a lifelong learner. I always want to continue to learn and I'm a very curious person and continuing that, that path outside of the master's degree and now going after um, my doctorate has been a culmination of just my my sheer curiosity and, and wanting to now try to make a mark on on some of the things that I've learned over the the course of of my career and, and really throughout my life. And I think that the doctoral pursuits is really an expression of your education instead of just learning to learn. I think that this is a is a way that we can take our experiences and really apply it to real world opportunities. And I think that it's a good opportunity for me to, to leave a bit of a mark, especially now that I'm looking at, you know, strategic leadership and, and what that looks like 
now that we're in a new world, you know, we're post COVID, hopefully post COVID, where we all recognize that we're in a new world. So how do how do we as leaders really transform the way that we're leading our, our teams, knowing that, you know, our teams won't look like they did in the past, you know, you have your normal employees that are W2, but you're also going to have the contingent workforce. You're going to be maybe live in person in some instances, or you might be completely remote. And all of these instances create a new opportunity for leaders to kind of flex their leadership skills by applying it to so many different elements of our new world. So I'm excited to pursue that. Obviously, I'm a data dork at heart and a nerd, I guess, is is the best way to put it. But I'm hopeful that some of the research that I can do can shed light on how we as leaders can be really effective, regardless of having disparate teams or asynchronous work being done on a, on a day-to-day basis. What are you seeing for teams that are successful or are effective right now at doing that? One of the, the biggest indicators of success, and I think that we're going to still see a lot of the research coming out based on what we saw over the last year in 2020, is that those, those organizations that not only did they make a pivot, but they didn't treat the pivot to going remote as this aberration, that they treated it as, wait a minute, this is this is a part of our new world. And that embracing of the opportunity to be able to get work done based on wherever somebody is naturally, where they're happiest, where where they can be healthy and they can serve their families and they can serve their world outside of work. I think those organizations are having the most success. Those are the ones that I've also seen their business outcomes were actually far superior during COVID than a lot of organizations that said, okay, well, we're just going to pivot. We're going to do that. And as soon as those those orders from the governors come down, we're all going back to work. Like I, I've heard more and more from those organizations how they they saw major dips in their revenue. They saw initial turnover with their teams. And I think that you're going to see the tsunami of turnover coming here in, in late 2021 and into 2022 as our workforce starts to really think through their values and how their values align to the work that they're doing or the company that they're serving. And I think that more more of the workforce is going to say, you know what, COVID taught us that there's so much more to life than just the work that we do. And life is too short to not be aligned with an organization that understands that and understands that there is no work-life balance, there's work-life integration, and that, you know, you have to be adaptive and if you're not going to, to adapt to the new world and the new value system that we share, then you're not going to be a company that's going to have dedicated, loyal employees over, over the long run. I love the, the thoughts around like a, a new way of working and what the new world looks like. And our team specifically is loving the hybrid approach. And so we've transitioned to being more of a, you know, work at home as your, as your mainstay, but come in and interact with a team as you feel necessary or as you need to have meetings together. One of the things that I'm concerned is going to happen, though, for for companies, as you hear these like companies entirely closing their office space and getting rid of that real estate and being completely remote, I'm worried about the overcorrection there, which is what we've been mindful for with first person. Like, how can we ensure that our people get what they need to be, you know, the flexibility they need? What do they need through COVID versus what does the future look like? And really take the opportunity to learn from it as opposed to assume that things just go back to the way they were before. Right. And I, I think that that's such a good point. I think that a lot of companies have done a, a bit of overcorrection. I mean, you know, we, we all heard 
so many of the big tech companies coming out and saying, oh, we're all remote first now. We don't we don't believe in uh, corporate real estate anymore. Right. Like I almost feel um, feel like the cause and effect on what that's going to have on on even real estate is going to be pretty crazy as we move forward. But I think that there is absolutely value in a hybrid approach. You know, my team is remote right now. We have no plans to, to formally go back into the office full time. But I will say on Monday, I brought my whole team into an office and we we each spread out and, you know, we were all six feet apart. We had our own little, like little desks, but we were in a super open space and we did an innovation session together. And it was really, for me, there are obviously outcomes that'll come from that. And, and that's great. But the time with the team to really feel like they were one unit and that they were cared for, that they were heard, I think was really, really valuable for them and for me. I also think that one of the things that we have to consider too is that a lot of the generational values are starting to come to fruition. So I, I have seen or noted that a lot of you know those that are in the older generations are really wanting to do try to get back to exactly the way it was. And I don't think we we all understand we're not going to go back to exactly the way that it was. And so how do you care for those that might have the value of wanting? full-time back in the office, Monday through Friday, the eight to five, that world, how do you support them so that you don't run into issues with things like age bias, right? I think that those are those are things we all have to be very thoughtful for as we're emerging back into the, the new world. The power of relationships is really important and something you just hit on there. It's not just for the folks inside the company. It's also about attracting the right talent, getting the right talent in the door. And one of the things that you're passionate about has really been helping underrepresented people find jobs that are really aligned to their skills and interests, that sort of skills matching word. And I I think summer this year, that's also been a challenge for people to figure out not only am I going to have a job, have I gotten laid off? Have I gotten furloughed? What might be the next job? How do I find that? How do I do that in the in the midst of a pandemic or even moving forward, what are the new ways that skills matching and, and both employers and potential employees can build those relationships? How have you seen that evolved over the last 12 months and where do you see the future of that going? What's interesting is that there's going to be probably more disruption that's going to come out of the education space probably than a lot of other industries. And the reason that I, I feel like that's going to be top of mind for most of us is is related to the fact that COVID accelerated our technology adoption, right? Like you have 80-year-old grandmas getting on Zoom so that they can see their grandkids. So if there's nothing else that like is a, a picture in our own mind of like how fast we just accelerated technology adoption, like to me, that's like the perfect picture, right? So we have to be lifelong learners in order to somewhat close that gap. And from an education perspective, you know, universities and the way that the, you know, let's call it the American dream has been set has been go to college, get good grades, come out of college, work. And then, of course, we saw the emergence of individuals getting master's degrees or MBAs. And, and it was a little bit of a continuing education, right? I think that there still will, will be the element of that. But I think that what we're going to see that will have drastic effect on on kind of the workforce is this thought of going back and getting certifications and or, you know, micro learning opportunities that are reflective of the new technologies that are coming out. You know, we know that AI and machine learning are are going to be massive disruptors for us, but 
what AI and machine learning bring is an opportunity to elevate the human, right? Like the goal is to eliminate the menial tasks that technology can take care of. So for us as an, as an employee or just a person in general, we're going to have to think differently about our aptitude needs to evolve. And we need to always be leaning into our ability to obtain more knowledge. And it's going to look a little bit different than going to your local college or university. Subscribe to the 11 out of 10 six star three thumbs up boost, a weekly newsletter for superhuman resource leaders that covers everything you need to know to take your HR career to the next level. Subscribe at firstpersonadvisors.com slash boost. You know, Google announced their new certification program, and they're really trying to disrupt the thought that you have to go to a four-year university or you have to follow kind of that standard procedure in order to get great work. Well, the first thing that, that Google did is they eliminated the need for a four-year degree. And then next, you hear an announcement, even just a couple of years later, that they have an entire program that cost about $250 for you to get certifications. And not only can you get certifications, but they'll help match you to jobs based on those certifications. So they're they're taking a stand and saying, everyone should have an opportunity to an education. And they're, they're really kind of democratizing that ability now with their, their certification programs. I think we're going to see more and more you know major tech players that are going to do that. But I think that you're going to also see employers that are going to say, you know what? I can't find AI data scientists, so I'm going to make them. We're going to have a university. I think Airbnb did this with their data science teams, that they created Airbnb University because they couldn't attract enough talent. So they're like, let's let's attract the talent that we think can do great work or our employees that have a really amazing interest in the field, and let's empower them to learn and evolve themselves and evolve where they're going. I think that it's disruptive, but I think it's going to be a really a fun disruption to see. I think that this is also something when we look at at 2020, what it did to women in the workforce has been really unfortunate. And, you know, the latest statistic I read, and I think it was probably yesterday that I read it, that we have the lowest female participation in the workforce since 1988. That is appalling to say the least. But this goes back to the way that employers are going to have to start to think about the way that they work with women, the way that they work with any underserved or underrepresented group as a whole. Fascinating stuff there. And there's no question that the percentage of women in the workforce for the last 12 months, that is a very troubling statistic. And as you know, as we've talked, I mean, there are many underrepresented categories across the board from an employment perspective that are, it's just, it's not the same, right? And and that's a challenge. I wonder, I'm going to stay on that AI topic as it relates to that a little bit. AI is an interesting word for both employers and employees. I think for some employers, truly understanding how to embrace AI, what does it mean to the impact on my business? How do I take advantage of the benefits that that can offer? How do I use that as a, as a leverage for the organization? That's really powerful. People are trying to figure out, I think, how to do that in their organizations. From an employment perspective, there's a lot of fear a lot of times. And I think a lot of fear in, hey, is this just coming in, and you mentioned that earlier, to replace my job? How do you coach or how do you talk to employees or potential employees about 
how to leverage AI as something that can actually help you empower your career, right? Empower you versus it being a competitive threat to what you do. A lot of the conversations and even from a mentoring, because I do spend a lot of time mentoring just different individuals. And a lot of the conversations that we're having, it, it is fear, right? Like it, it is fear that they will become obsolete, right? Like one of the, one of the gentlemen that I've, I've mentored for a little while has, um, he's been a CDL driver. So he's terrified of automated cars, like driverless vehicles. We know that that's, that's clearly, you know, something that's, that's coming down the pike. It's being tested all over the place. And we've seen what Tesla or Volvo have that are, are coming out, even in like personal vehicles. So we know that there's opportunities where certain industries will be displaced, but the, the area that I always kind of impart to anybody that I work with is has been don't ever think that what you do today means what you defines what you'll do tomorrow, that you're always able to reinvent yourself. You're always able to look at the skill set that you have, and it absolutely will transfer to other opportunities. For me, you know, thinking about transferable skills is something that's really, really important. It's something that in my previous startup was a kind of part of the ethos that we believed that if you have a skill set, you know, let's say you're a customer service rep, if you have a if you have a skill set to be able to, to engage on the phone with customers consistently, you have transferable skills that absolutely could translate. So thinking through, you know, from a CDL driver perspective, we I've worked with a gentleman and we, you know, we talked through things around like logistics and understanding like the world of logistics and how his ability to driving to get things where they need to be, you know, really applies to that. So learning a couple of new skills could put him into a new industry that he doesn't serve in the current capacity. So I think that a part of that is mindset and really helping people change a bit more to a growth mindset and, and having the ability to say, you're never too many steps away for, from your future opportunity. And I think that that's something that's really important as, as we look at, AI and what that's going to do. It's like, okay, well, do you really want to drive, you know, 12 hours every day? Like, is that, is that something that you want to do long-term? Wouldn't you rather do a different type of role and then mapping that future opportunity? And we, we can always write, we can always write our future. And I think sometimes people forget that they, they, they do have that ability. I think what's been great for like our team, when you think about it's maybe not as sophisticated as AI, but using a little bit of technology to automate some of our work processes has really given people the opportunity to kind of like show up to a higher calling, like move their level of the job that they currently do to be a little more strategic. And it results in career growth for them, which is a really exciting thing to see when people can grasp that new opportunity and and show up differently with our, in our instance, with our clients. And we're able then to pick up bandwidth for other, other work rather than, you know, having to have people sit around doing mundane data entry. So for us, it's been a great, it's been a great ability for people to grow their career. Absolutely. I wonder, Summer, your, your passion around helping underrepresented folks or helping that skills matching job. Where does that passion and that drive come from for you? 
you know, my mom never made it past 10th grade and she was, you know, she was a server at Waffle House. So, you know, my family um, originated actually in in Hazard, Kentucky, very, very small coal town um, in Kentucky. And they moved to Cincinnati, um, actually in, in Middletown, Ohio. So again, a small town in Ohio. But I grew up in a trailer park and most of the, the my friends and family that lived around me, we were all living, in, you know, mostly in, in poverty. And to me, you had a couple of, of, of things that you would see. Number one, you would see people just trying to make ends meet. So they were working any job, any odd job that they possibly could. I mean, I guess, you know, technically uh, you would see the gig economy before it was the gig economy, right? Like, you know, if you, you're going to, you know, paint somebody's house or build a deck and, you know, you saw that, right? So I think that that was something that I definitely took to heart seeing people just doing what they needed to do to make ends meet. I also saw a lot of hustle and it was making sure they could provide for their family. And a lot of times that was legal and sometimes it was illegal. You saw people selling drugs or some other nefarious behavior. But for me, what what was really, I guess, inspiring was it was knowing that even for my mom who has just a great outlook on life and is and would do anything for anyone and will is one of the hardest workers out there. What motivated me to to make an impact was knowing that so many of my friends and my family, their family struggled because they couldn't get jobs in the in the standard sense. You know, my dad, um, he he got a great job at a steel uh, steel company because he showed up at the HR office and sat for hours on end until somebody in HR was willing to talk to him. Now that that was like a standard, like you had to basically beg to get jobs, and I I just was horrified that really good people, regardless of their aptitude, just couldn't get employment. And so I I think that 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 always stuck with me and that we have to have a better way to allow anyone, I don't care what walk of life they are, they have to have a shot at doing great work. And I I feel like early on, I I started my career in the HR tech space with with careerbuilder.com. And I remember vividly going into organizations and telling them the future of work was going to be through job postings and the internet. And I remember having conversations where people said, oh, that's never going to happen. Now, it sounds hilarious today, like somebody ever saying this Internet thing isn't going to be that's not how people are going to get roles. Right. Like that's not going to happen. Jury's still out. Right. I know. I don't I don't know if the Internet's going to catch on. (laughs) Right. So it was just like every time I'd have those conversations, I would remember like a friend of mine coming to my house and crying because they didn't have food. And it was because their their dad could not get a job and he was like trying to work odds and ends. And we would talk about his experience and like the guy could absolutely work. It wasn't that he couldn't work. It's because the systems that were out there wouldn't let him get a job. And then when the job boards came up, to me, it was it was revolutionary and it was transfer, transformative because it kind of it even the playing field. Anybody could apply to a job. You didn't have to know somebody or you didn't have to get that newspaper and circle that job with a red pen and call and call and call and then go show up at a business. You didn't have to do that anymore. It was democratized in a way. But very soon after, we saw the challenge of 
resumes becoming the barrier? Like, did you have the previous job title that the company is looking for? Was your resume written in a, in a proper manner? Do you know how to use the internet in a way that's meaningful? So all of a sudden, something that did open doors for so many in the underserved or underrepresented populations, it opened the doors, but then the technology started to become the blocker. And so for me, it's it's been like, how do I solve that problem where our technology is now becoming a problem. It's It's been built to filter us out, not source and screen us into roles. So how do you transform that? And I think that that's, that's also where we're seeing in the last year, you know, the gig economy started to, to take hold over the last five years, but it surged over 22% in growth over the last, the last year in 2020, simply for the fact that people wanted control of their own destiny. They were scared that they couldn't provide for their family and the methods of getting roles or opportunities have really held them back. So how do you, how do you take control? You become a freelancer, you become a master of your own destiny. And I think that we're going to see that continue. And we're also going to see, uh, Individuals that would have never leaned into that world are now going to lean into it. And I think that that's also going to be a part of the, the kind of contributing to the tsunami of turnover that we're all going to face as we kind of come out of the fog of COVID. Take the emotional power of human resolve stories and put them on steroids. What do you get? No, <laughs> not A-Rod. The Human Resolve Conference. Join hundreds of human resource leaders from around the country for a month of actionable advice and inspiration to get you and your HR team where you want to go. Get your virtual pass at firstpersonadvisors.com slash resolve for the upcoming sessions. Well, and one other area of the world, the military right? Veterans as they return into either serving abroad or, or just from active duty or, or their time in service. That's also a challenge to know how to get plugged in into a professional world and what that looks like and where the opportunities are and how to make the most of your skills. There's a, there's a gap there. My husband served in Iraq. He was um, a combat engineer. So he looked for IEDs in Iraq when he served in 07 and 08. When his unit came home, because I had worked at Career Builder and, and everybody associated me with the person that knows how to write resumes. I don't know why, but that was a natural. <laughs> it was like, if you work in any aspect of anything to do with jobs in any capacity, you automatically become the expert, right? For your friends and family. Without question. And we all, we've all been there, right? But having those conversations with the guys that came home and like writing their resumes and just watching their expressions and their body language where they felt so defeated because they didn't feel value valued at all in the in the civilian workforce is it's heartbreaking. So many of the guys came home and could not find work. Now granted, you know, my my husband's unit then when they came home it was in 2008 so we we did have an economic crash too so that wasn't that wasn't helping but the fact that in the employment space in the civilian sector, civilians don't speak military. They don't understand direct value that service members can provide to our, our workforce. That doesn't mean that they aren't absolutely perfect for roles. It's just they don't understand that a military occupational specialty that looks like what my husband did of looking for and, you know, detonating IEDs, 
that doesn't seem to apply very well to like the civilian sector outside of a bomb squad or working for a coal mine to blow up some mountains, right? Like at first blush, I can understand that. But understanding how these men go and serve and they have platoons and units where they're keeping hundreds of soldiers alive. They're, you know, they're leading through conditions that most would find absolutely appalling. They're they're building teams in ways that none of us could ever think of. I mean, you're, the leadership ability, the the logistics, even the the ability to do that, absolutely can apply to our civilian sector. But it, we have to cut through how to help veterans translate their skills into civilian and teach civilians how to value veterans in ways that look a little different than the corporate world, but they are transferable skills. So I think that that's another area that is absolutely a passion for me as well. And and I, I serve on a few boards that serve military veterans and, and I'm a military spouse and army spouse at heart. And that part of me never leaves as well. But I think that we, we, we have the ability to use technology to lift people up, but it also takes the humans on the other side of the equation to open their mind on, on understanding the value of a service member and teaching a service member their value in the civilian society as well. It's interesting because I think, you know, more and more employers are starting to this year in particular, right? There's there've been an increased emphasis on DEI and the effort around intentional practice around that, right? And we've we've had some guests on Human Resolve and we've talked about this topic and we've talked about what does it really mean to have a talent strategy that is being thoughtful about that, right? And these underrepresented populations we talk about, right? We're talking about, we've already talked about people that haven't had the skill development, haven't had access to education, or or maybe that's not been in the family heritage, veterans coming back, folks from different walks of life in different communities. What What is that experience like? I know, Matt, that's something that for, for you has been something that is really important as a leader of people and as a leader in the community. That's something you've really become increased passionate about. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, you think about where your something assembles, where your office is located. Is it accessible to, to underrepresented populations? You think about how do our jobs relate to underrepresented? Like, how do we get those out there to underrepresented populations? And I think what's really cool is like the skills matching and how, when you talk about that, companies being able to now have an opportunity to find people through a skills match rather than just like posting a job, right? You still have the struggles with people who may or may not have internet access, which then leads to a whole host of other like accessibility problems. So how can you support that through other means of connecting with people? So, you know, you think about skills matching and offering programs that like tech stipends for for folks who may not be able to afford internet. You can help them get set up. There's all sorts of different strategies that we're exploring ourselves so that we can make sure that we don't let something stand in someone who's actually qualified to do the work. We don't want anything to stand in their way. Our our the biggest challenge I think companies face today is like how to get the word out that you have a position and be able to to get the applications that you need for it or or get people focused on that I can go work in this setting. I I think sometimes too the challenge there is like in underrepresented populations, especially like would I fit in there? Well, we like to pride ourselves on having a super open culture. We don't, we don't want people to feel that, you know, this isn't 
a place for me. And I think we've done a great job, especially with our with our team on creating that engagement of everyone's welcome. And um, we've engaged in our own sort of learning journey over the past year, which has really helped to open people's eyes, start conversations. It's been a great journey. And I can see I can see strides being made in, in the greater Indianapolis area as well. And I think that goes back to empathy, right? Like, I know we talk about emotional, like emotional intelligence and that, but I think something that can oftentimes get missed is some some of the simple things, like you said, the location, kind of that location bias and thinking through parts of that equation and, and how we just have to think about from an empathetic point of view, what is the life that those that are are in the the underserved population, like what does their life truly look like? And how do we as leaders, whether it be from an employment perspective or just leaders in our community, how do we stop start to look at ways to reduce that friction? Like what are what are those friction points? Whether it is like the internet access, is it you know, something that I've had some conversations about recently is is remote work is amazing for a lot of people. But there are unfortunate scenarios where a home isn't conducive to being able to work. And I think that obviously, you know, as we're having conversations on video, you have a peek into somebody's world. And if somebody's world doesn't look fabulous, that can be a really big challenge. And it can also be challenges where you've got things like abuse that that occur in relationships, I know that that's something I've, I've spoken to a few different women's shelters and, and some of the barriers that they faced where if you have a view into somebody's personal life, like that can also be a challenge to, to, you know, really expose some of the things that are going on. So again, it's that empathy to say, okay, your life might not look like my life. You might not have some of the things I personally take for granted. So let's think through some of the challenges that you see. Is it transportation? Is it internet? Is it access to, I don't know, like a computer and a desk or a chair? Like, don't assume that people have access to all of this because they don't. So you have to be very intentional and and thoughtful about approaching what people are, people's experience look like. And I think that's just what's so important about the future of work. I, there's a couple things at play there. Like the future of work is all about relationships and treating people like humans and not overcorrecting office space. We take it back to that hybrid idea. Some people need the office, right? It's the way they feel safe, whether it's because of what the background looks like or what's going on personally at home. So I, I just it's so critical that we meet people where they are and always remember the human factor. As we get set to wrap up the conversation, we've covered a, a ton of topics, and it is clear one thing that's clear, Summer, is how incredible of a person you are and how incredible of a leader you are uh, in your community, in your work. And so we appreciate you taking some time to talk talk with us about your your background. But I wonder, as we turn forward for you personally, what do you want to accomplish? What are your goals? What are your so much of what you are focused on is really what others are focused on, mentoring, coaching, helping lift people up. What, what drives you? I, I honestly, I, I think about it quite a bit. I'm approaching 40, so that midlife crisis is starting to kick in, I guess. Starting to think about life and, and what, you know, kind of the meaning, what I want my meaning. And for me, I want to have a, a life of legacy. And my, you know, my, my true goal is to make an impact even if it's on just a small segmentation, and even if it's in my hometown in Cincinnati, to 
to really help lift others up. It's thinking through ways that I can take my my research and my and pair that with my passions to have better outcomes for the future of work and, and really serve those that are underserved and underrepresented in a meaningful way. What a beautiful, beautiful picture that is. And I'm excited for you in this opportunity. You've got summer uh, with Talent Now. What an exciting organization and, and certainly now with a very, very dynamic CEO. So Summer, thank you so much for sharing your perspective, sharing your thoughts on the future. We're just really excited to be able to spend today with you. Perfect. Thank you so much, Mark. And thank you so much, Matt. Love spending time with you guys. Thanks so much for learning with us today. Did you enjoy the episode? Please share it along with someone you think would appreciate it. Subscribe and stay ahead of the curve with notifications of new episodes. Join the conversation and let us know what you think by tagging first person BA and using hashtag human resolve on social media. <laughs> <laughs>